0: Uh, Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration— He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction, But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, the days were called Purim from the word Pur. Because of everything... Written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who join them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fall to the celebr should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated times as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. I'll hand it
1: over. Amen. This is God's word. Morning, everybody. Nice to see you all today. Thank you. Someone told me it's nice to see me too. That's good. That's good. It's nice to be seen. Um, welcome to uh, welcome to new city. Uh, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're uh, at the tail end of our series on Esther. Uh, what Joanna just read is the last portion of the whole book, and I had to read through to the very end of it. And um, you know, as we're getting started here, I. Uh, I have to mention, um, I don't have to mention, I get to mention something that was really cool this week. Hannah and I celebrated our uh, third anniversary of our wedding, and, um, and you know, the thing about anniversaries is you get to, uh, you get to reflect and think about um, the, the past. You get to think about, okay, where have we come uh, You know, in the last year, or go back two years, go back three years, you think on your wedding day you think of all the things that um, you've seen in each other, the ways that you've grown, the things that you've learned, and um, one of the things I was thinking about um, that I've learned um, that Hannah has told me is that I have too many mugs, (laughs) coffee mugs, and she's, she's exactly right. I do have too many mugs, and I brought one. This is The reason I have too many mugs is that I get them whenever I go to a really cool place. Like, we'll go somewhere together. Um, This last summer, we went to Barcelona, and I have a mug from Barcelona. Um, Let's see. I have one from uh, Yosemite, the day we got engaged in Yosemite. And uh, that's a pretty special one. I got this one from, uh, this is just a, literally just a picture of Mount Whitney, um, from when I summited Mount Whitney. Just had to throw that in there. I summited. (laughs) But, uh, but um, I agree with her that I have too many, uh, I, I do have too many mugs, but here's the thing, here's why I like it so much, is that every morning when I drink coffee and I hold that mug, whatever it is, I remember some really good times. Like, the memory of the time when I got that mug is, is in that as I'm, you know, sipping the nectar of life, that is <laughs> coffee, yeah, someone's like raising... <laughs> We're like raising our hands in church, we're raising our coffee. <laughs> no, but it, it, it reminds me, and so I reflect on those things. Even if it's just faintly, if I don't go into the whole memory, I just remember it. And I bring that up because the passage we read today has to do with celebration. It has to do with remembering. Remembering the times that God has delivered um, His people. And that's really what the whole passage is about. And if you have been here for this series, or if you're familiar with the story, um, you could read this passage that Joanna read today, and you might think, "Hey, was that even like necessary? Like, isn't the plot already over? Isn't the the wicked plot from Haman, who wanted to kill all of God's people, hasn't he already been taken care of? Um, hasn't Esther, who risked her life, hasn't she already uh, been spared and become the the hero of her people?" And yes, but there's something special about pausing to reflect and remember. There's something sacred about purposing in your heart that I'm going to take time to celebrate now what God did back then. You guys know what I'm saying? Remembering where God has brought you from and what he's brought you through and so, um, since we're dealing with this passage on remembrance, and since we're ending our series on Esther today, I want to speak uh, for the rest of the time on three reminders that we need from this passage. If you'll bear with me, I'm turning to it because I don't have it bookmarked this time. In just a second. All right, three reminders that this passage gives us. You guys ready? Good? Okay. This is soft. Yes, we'll go for it. Um, verse 21 and 22 um, hints at the first reminder when it says this. It's, it's um, saying that it was to have the Jews celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, or rest from their enemies, if you're reading a different translation, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and when their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, giving presents of food one to another and gifts to the poor. Here at the beginning of the, of the passage today, we're reminded that this whole story, for the bulk of this story, it looked like everything was over. If you go back with me in your minds a little bit, it looked like everything was over for God's people. There's a wicked man named Haman who was very powerful, the second most powerful man on earth at this point, and he was dead set on the destruction of God's people. Not only did he have an idea for it, he had the power to make it happen. And, and the Bible says in earlier chapters that he, that he cast the lot, or he cast the poor. So it's basically like dice, right? He cast the dice to find out when would be the perfect day to destroy, kill, and annihilate the Jews. And so when he got a date, he announced the date. He got it put into law and decreed all over the whole Persian empire, which 2,500 years ago is the largest, it comes from Pakistan to uh, Ethiopia. That's how big it was. And they put out this law all over. On a certain date, this is going to happen. The law was set against God's people. And then you've got Esther, who's this queen, who, who her, her, uh, her uncle Mordecai says, you need to go set this right. But she says, if I do that, I'm going to risk my life. Even for her to go see the king was a, a great risk to her life. She risked death, and Mordecai himself was going to be killed because Haman had a gallows set up so that he could put Mordecai to death. And all the Jews in the Persian empire were going to be destroyed. So much, it was so set in stone that they even knew the date that it was going to happen. But God But God, old preacher when I was growing up, some of y'all aren't going to like this, he used to say, everybody's got a butt. (laughs) God's butt is bigger than your butt. (laughs) And what he's talking about is the times in your life and the times in the scriptures when everything is stacked against the people of God. But God comes through. That's holy enough. (laughs) Reminder number one is this. Your greatest rejoicing is on the other side of your darkest trial. Your greatest rejoicing. Listen to me today. If your hope is in Jesus, I can tell you this. Your greatest rejoicing is on the other side of your darkest trial. Why? Why? Why can I say that? Because our God is the one who takes our sorrow and turns it into joy. Our God is the one who takes our mourning and turns it into celebration. Our God takes the turmoil we're going through and he turns it into the testimony that we're telling someone else about. Listen to what God did in my life. Anyone? Our God is the one who, for the Israelites, he took the poor that was the dice that was cast against them, and he turned it into the Purim, which is the festival where they celebrate their victory over the... You know that Haman, who wanted to kill everyone, he died. (laughs) And everyone that wanted to attack the Jews all over the empire, the Jews were able to defend themselves and were victorious. He turns your darkest trials into... One of your greatest reasons to rejoice. In the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph, if you remember, was um, sold into slavery by his own brothers. And then he kind of worked his way up from there, and then he got thrown into prison because he was falsely accused. And then he kind of worked his way up in prison, but he was forgotten about. And then finally he, he got out of prison, and then he became the second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then he sees his brothers again. And uh, there's all sorts of reasons for him not to forgive his brothers. But you know what he says near the end of that book? He says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph basically says, I'm rubber, you're glue. (laughs) Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks back on you, except a little bit more redeemed than that. <laughs> but he's saying, what, you intended it for evil, but God redeemed it for good. And look how many people's lives are saved because of it, because of God. Jesus, when he was introducing his ministry, there's this story where he's in a synagogue, and it's time for the scripture to be read, and the scroll is handed to Jesus to read the scroll, and this is the passage that he reads from to introduce to to everyone, this is what I'm about. This is what my ministry is. This is who I am. This is why I'm here. It's from Isaiah 61, and he read this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. And then listen to this, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That sound like good news? Anyone want to listen to Crystal Lewis in the 90s? Yeah. Beautiful ashes. Yeah. That's all I'm going to sing. Yeah. This is what our God does. Yeah. This is what he does. This is what he's known for. This is what his track record is. And before I go any further, I want you to pause and just think with me for a second about God's track record in your life. If you would think about, with me for a second, for a time that God delivered you, a time when all the odds were stacked up against you. Maybe it was in your marriage, and it, and it was basically over, but God. Maybe it was your health. Maybe it was your job. Maybe you didn't know which step to take next and everything was crowding in on you. Are you guys thinking right now? When God has delivered you, when he's come through for you, when there was no way, but he made a way out of no way. The reason I'm asking you to do that is because I'm convinced that pretty often we have spiritual amnesia as we're just going through our our, uh, Monday through Sunday life. We know that God has brought us through in certain times that we forget. Anyone admit to that? It's not, and it may be different reasons. It may just be that our culture, the way that we have grown up and the way that our culture is, is so forward-facing and so crisis-centered that we don't have any No one's telling us, hey, stop and remember how good God is. No, it's that you scroll through your feed, and it's like, the world's falling apart. The world's (laughs) falling apart. Oh, there's a kitten video. Oh, the world's falling apart. (laughs) So our our culture's not reminding us how good God's been. But a lot of times, our nature is not reminding us either. Our nature is to find the next problem to fix. I know God's brought me through, and I, I know, but i got to fix this now. i got to fix this thing that's two years in advance <laughs> as I'm lying in bed trying to go to sleep. <laughs> our, so our culture doesn't tell us to. Our nature kind of maybe even suppresses sometimes. Yeah. I, as I was reading this passage this week and I was preparing, I was repenting because I was like, God, I know that there are times when you are trying to remind me, other people are trying to remind me, hey, remember when God did this in your life? Remember how good God is? And I will suppress it myself because this moment, I can't get out of this moment. Stuck in the moment, you can't get out of it. That's the other song. There's no more songs today. That's it. But... Thank you, Finn. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we don't want to remember it because our moment that we're in right now is so overwhelming. The emotions are so strong and all we can think is, where is God now? Why doesn't he fix this right now? I know he did stuff in the past, but why doesn't he change my situation right now? But when we do remember, When we do pause, when we do think back on the goodness of God, you notice that your joy, something called joy, just starts to bubble up and increase? Have you noticed that it changes the way you look towards the future, even if your current situation hasn't changed at all? You have a little bit more hope because you remember, oh, yeah, I know what it felt. I I remember this feeling. It felt like nothing was going to go right ever again. But God. Some of you today may be going through situations right now and you're going through it with no hope and no joy and you're frustrated and you're anxious and you're depressed and you're overwhelmed and much of it is due to your lack of hope and lack of trust that God will see you through. But if you pause and look back on your past and you start to recount the list, the long list of ways that he's come through, Another way of saying this point is this. Your joy in the present and your hope in the future depend on your reflection on the past. Your joy in this present moment for what you're going through. And when you think of the future, whether you have more hope or less hope or no hope, in a large part depends on whether or not you are going to stop and reflect on what God has already done in your life. Are you remembering that God's the one who turns sorrow into joy? That he's the one who turns situations of mourning into days of celebration. Amen? Amen. Second reminder brings us to our second reminder. It's from verse 26 and 27. It says, therefore, these days were called Purim from the word Pur. See, it's just showing us again, look. Look. The thing that the the enemy tried to use against you, God's going to make it an opportunity to celebrate. Because everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what happened to them, verse 27, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. You see, God knows our tendency to either forget or suppress the past. God knows that we have cases of spiritual amnesia. And in the Old Testament, the way that we see that God knows that so well is that he actually proactively commands his people to have feasts. And the whole point of a feast is to remember what God did in your life. They're actually law. Like God said, you have to stop working and party over what, God, what I've done for you. Yeah. Passover feast, what does that celebrate? It celebrates when they were slaves in Egypt, and yet God brought them out miraculously. Stop. Don't work on those days. Feast. Have a huge meal celebrate what God's done in your life, that you weren't a people, but he made you a people. Feast of Tabernacles, what does that celebrate? It celebrates that, they, uh, that while they were in the wilderness and they didn't have food or water or shelter or anything, God provided for them. And so they had this feast where they were supposed to set up temporary tents, shelters, and that would remind them that you used to live in tents because you didn't have a land but God. You guys with me? So God says, I know you're going to forget So do this every year. (laughs) And it's in the Torah. It's law. But I think something that's uh, interesting about this festival that we're reading, Purim festival, is that this is the first major festival that the Jews observed that God did not command them to. Verse 27 says it. They took it upon themselves they took it upon themselves because of everything they had seen and because of what had happened to them, they took it upon themselves. Somehow they knew the value of remembering. They knew how significant this victory had been, what could have happened versus what did happen. And they celebrated. And they established Accustomed, they committed to saying, we're gonna remember this every year on the same day when we were supposed to be destroyed, and yet now we're gonna have a feast. Reminder number two is this. Sometimes you have to take it upon yourself to reflect. You have to take it upon yourself to remember. You have to take it upon yourself to celebrate. Around here we talk about we, we take responsibility for our own growth as disciples, as followers of Jesus. There are ways that God instructs us to remember his goodness. We have the Lord's Supper. We have um, communion where we remember his, his body broken for us and his blood poured out so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could live. And we have baptism so we remember... yeah. You were once dead in sin, but now you're alive in Christ. And so we get buried in the water and we come back up to live a new life. That's how God says you're going to remember this. You're going to celebrate this. But there's also things that we need to take upon ourselves that aren't as explicitly commanded. They're talked about in Scripture. But we need to take things upon ourselves to establish, uh, establish rhythms of pausing and reflecting and remembering God's goodness and grace, remembering the victories he's brought in our lives. Amen? One of the things our GCM does whenever we get together for meals, um, we'll do during the meal, we'll, do, we'll share evidences of grace. And I know some of you guys are probably familiar with that, and uh, maybe some of you haven't heard of it, but it's basically, we ask the question, okay, since the last time we met, um, what is a way that God has showed up in your life? And it could, be, it could be good things, or it could be you're going through a trial, and yet you're sensing God's presence, or something He's showing you, um, something He is doing in your life, or a blessing that He's put in your life. And uh, you know, it, it always takes a little bit to get started, but once we get started, it's hard to stop. <laughs> and I think that's funny. I, I don't know about you, but that's the same way for me. It's hard to kind of stop from the present moment and think about, okay, where has God been at work? But once I get started, it's like, oh yeah, he was there and there and there. And praise God. Am I tracking today? What are some of the ways that we can take it on ourselves to reflect, to celebrate, to remember? A few of those are, I'll just list a few. Let's get real practical, right? Morning devotions. Psalms talks about, David always talks about, I get up in the morning and I pray. Early in the morning, I will seek you. Getting up and reading the scriptures. Just let me, let me tell you this. If you try this for a week, and if, if it doesn't work, you can get your money back. Read the scriptures before you read your Facebook feed or your Instagram or your email or your Twitter, whatever it is. Read the scriptures before you pick up your phone. Do that for a week and tell me you're not feeling more joy. I dare you. (laughs) Dare myself too, right? No, that's a way that we can pause every day and give time to God for his word to remind us of how faithful he is. You know, we always need to be listening for God's voice. But it's one thing to say, well, God's not speaking to me. God's not speaking to me. And I'm always like, yes, yes. (laughs) It's here. It's written. It's even in English. God has spoken to us. We need to pause and make time in our lives to remember it. Corporate worship is another way. And now I'm preaching in the choir because you guys are literally all here. But coming here on Sundays is a way that we make space in our life to remember the goodness of God. Yeah. You know why Christians meet on Sunday? Because it's, that's the day that Jesus rose again. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest um, evidences that the resurrection is real. Because you think of thousands of years Jews met to worship on the Sabbath. Sabbath. Friday and Saturday, and yet overnight, the early church, which was all Jewish at the beginning, starts worshiping on Sunday. Why would they ever do that unless they had seen the risen Lord? That's why we've done it for 2,000 years, is we meet to remember. We meet to hear those songs and to hear God speak to us and be reminded of the truth. Anyone with me today? We meet to pray with one another, to get prayed for, to bear our burdens. To to be healed. That's why it's important to be here on Sunday mornings. Sabbath is another way. If that's Sunday for you, if that's another uh, portion of the week for you, whatever it is. But is there a time in your life where you say no to work? (laughs) Not because... Because you need to remind yourself that you're not a slave to your work and to your achievements and to the things that, are, that our world serves as idols. That God has freed me and, and I'm going to accomplish exactly what He's called me to accomplish. And He will give me what I need in order to do that no more, no less. And so I pause from working. Maybe it's journaling and reflecting. That's another thing besides mugs I have too much of. <laughs> I, have, I started journaling in the sixth grade, and I think I have like every journal since then. And so, again, Hannah is right. We have, I have too many journals and too many mugs for our little apartment. But... <laughs> what can I say? I don't have anything else to say on that. that was, um, Here's the thing. Here's why we have to take it upon ourselves to reflect. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it as a pastor. Someone stops reflecting. Someone stops those rhythms, stops spending time in the scriptures, stops attending corporate worship on Sunday, stops praying. And, And what happens? Joy leaves. Hope leaves. Present circumstances overwhelm. Hope leaves. They feel hopeless, but it's not true. They're not hopeless. And I'm not just talking about other people I've seen it in my own life. I'm not looking down my nose at anyone. I'm just saying none of us are above this. And so we can learn from this reminder that we need to take it upon ourselves to say, I'm going to commit to rhythms of remembering God's goodness in my life. And if I don't, I'm not going to be surprised when I have no joy and no hope. We need one another. Was talking to Vince about this message and he he reminded me that in the in the animal kingdom, if you like stray from the pack, (laughs) you know, but we do that. If you're if you're tired or sad or depressed, we isolate. We pull back. We stray from the pack. We don't share it with someone else. That's not good. It's dangerous for our souls. If you want to have joy in the present and hope for the future, you gotta take it on yourself too reflect on the past. Amen. Amen. Now for the third reminder it comes from verse twenty-eight. It says this These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, and in every city, and these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Something I think that's interesting about this is, if you remember, the, the focal point of this whole book had to do with um, a few people at the center of it. There was Haman, who was the enemy of the Jews, and there was Mordecai, um, who stands up for the welfare of the Jews. And there's Esther, who was an orphan, um, who became the queen of Persia. And she is the one who risked her life for the well-being of the Jews. And then there's the Jewish community in Susa, which is the capital city. And then you know, there's Jews living scattered throughout who maybe on that day they had to fight to defend themselves. But when it talks about who needs to celebrate this, it's interesting to me that most of the people who have ever celebrated this event, which it's still celebrated every year, my Jewish people, most of the people who have celebrated this event were never part of the initial event. And here's what's cool about that for me. They got to experience the joy, but they didn't necessarily have to win the fight. But they got to share in the victory. You see, in Esther, the Jews, what ends up happening is they get to live, not die. <laughs> they get to feast, not starve. They get to have joy and celebrate. They, get, they don't get ashes or mourning, but they get joy and celebration. And most of them weren't even involved in the plot. We only have two Jews named in the whole book. Most of them are not in the center of this. That's our reminder number three. Sometimes you get to celebrate in a victory you didn't win. Sometimes you get to share in the victory of a battle you didn't fight. You get to share in the joy, although you didn't bear the brunt of the sorrow, you still get to share the joy. Last week was Veterans Day. And uh, Hannah and I, uh, we spent some time with her family, and we watched Saving Private Ryan. Anyone ever seen that? Yeah. Tear jerker, man. Every time, right? So sad. And so moving. And uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, it's a story of, it's World War II. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a, I forgot his first name, but Private Ryan. Somehow they find out that three, he has three brothers. They all died in the fighting. And so the army decides we need to go rescue him from the front line. Uh, and this is right around D-Day um, in World War II. And so they send a company uh, of men led by Captain Tom Hanks. And, um, and they go, they, 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 they've already, they've already, you know, they've already, like, they barely survived it through D-Day. But now they go further in enemy territory. And they're only, they're not even, their mission is not to fight the war. Their mission is to save Private Ryan, to get him off the front lines. And, and spoiler alert, um, just plug your ears if you want to watch it later. But almost all of them die in that effort. And the movie ends with him remembering. Him going back to the grave of that captain 50 years later. And remembering. And it's moving. It's moving stuff. And it's like the, it's like the World War II documentaries I, I love to watch. I, I watch them all the time. But... I've been watching this one lately just called The War and they tell these stories and I'm just thinking about what these people went through and lived through and that's why we celebrate veterans because they went and fought the battle that we didn't fight so we get to taste the joys of freedom and liberty and have freedoms like this to gather here publicly and worship that a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world don't have. Yet we have this freedom even though We didn't fight that battle. And now, if you're a believer, the story is starting to remind you of someone else. Jesus. Jesus defeated. Jesus won the battle over sin and death and hell. Jesus defeated our greatest enemy. Even when we were his enemies. See, that's part of the good news. It's not like we were on the right side just cheering for him. (laughs) No, we were on the wrong side. We're on the wrong side. Like the song said today, he died to reconcile the very ones who nailed him to the tree. And when you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian today and you're leaning into it, it's when you begin to realize that my sin is what put him there, and yet he did it out of love. For me and to set me free from that sin. That's why the scriptures say you were far from God, but now you've been reconciled. Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5 that he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. see that's why we call the gospel. Good news. The Greek word that we use for gospel is euangelion. Euangelion means good news. And in the Roman times, it, here's a picture of how that word would be used. Let's say there was a military uh, 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 battle happening. And then when, if the Romans won, they would send a messenger to the town to announce the victory. So basically, a person would run, and they would get to the gates of the city, and they would just yell out, we won. And this is, here's the thing about hearing that. Life's going to be different. Whatever happened over here on the battlefield is going to affect how you live, even though you weren't there for it. It's going to change the way you live. That's why we call it good news. The gospel is good news. It's, not a, good, it, it's a good announcement. It's not good advice. The gospel is not, hey, clean yourself up. You have a chance to be a better person. You have a chance to earn your way to God's inner circle. If you do these things, he'll start listening to your prayers more. The gospel is not, you can win this if you try, buddy. You can do it. The gospel is not good advice. It's a good announcement, a victory that's been won that you didn't even fight in. You were on the wrong side, actually. I was on the wrong side. We were enemies of God, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Whew! But God. And when you see that, you find that this gospel is the best news. That though you fought against God through sin and rebellion He was victorious. Not only is he victorious, he's willing to share the spoils of victory with you, of joy, of hope in the future. And even though the battle was fought a long time ago on a hill called Calvary, you're still invited to share in the victory. Generations have passed. It was in a far distant land, in a different city, and yet we celebrate here today because he secured freedom for you all these generations later. You know, Saving Private Ryan is, is really moving, but there's something that always bugged me about it because Captain Miller, I think his name, Captain Tom Hanks, when he's, when he's on the bridge and they've defended it and he's dying and he looks at Private Ryan, he, he's just been shot, he's giving his life for this man and most of his company has died. The last words he says to the man is, earn this. Earn this. And I get it. I get the sentiment. And you see him 50 years later when he's there, and he's a frail old man, and he's standing at the captain's grave, and he he calls his wife over, and he says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I lived a good life. He spent his whole life trying to earn it. When I watched that this week, I just thought, The gospel so much better than that. As moving as that is. Because <laughs> you can't earn it. You can't earn it. And Jesus, when he gave his life on the cross, he didn't say, earn this. He said, receive this. He didn't say, work for this. He said, it is finished. There's so much better. Jesus is the one who turned the darkest defeat. Talk about dark. Talk about over. Jesus wasn't threatened, he was killed. He wasn't threatened to go through sorrow, he died. He was buried. It was over. Talk about defeat. But God, He made victory out of that. The darkest trial ever in in human history, in the history of the universe, Jesus has come through victorious. May we remember that right now for what you're going through on Sunday, November 18th, 2018. Can you just latch onto that? Whatever hope you feel in your heart right now, can you latch onto that and bring it here? No matter what happens, He is victorious and he will see me through and I can go through what I have right now with not just happy, not just faking it till I make it, with a deep joy that's based in him. And I can look ahead to the future, not because I can figure it all out, but I have hope because I know what he has promised. I know who I have trusted. I know who I have entrusted my soul to and I know that he's faithful to carry out everything he's promised. He's proven it over and over and over again. Jesus knew our joy would be dependent on our reflection, so he commanded us to reflect on him. That's what he said at the Last Supper. Do this, what? In remembrance of me. Take this bread, this is my body. Take this cup, this is my blood. Do it in remembrance of of me and so when we do that every sunday may it never be lighthearted may it never be without a thought may it never be like first corinthians says taken unworthily when we do this may we see it as remembering what jesus went through for me but also what he went through for me <laughs> to pull me up and to pull me out of what i'm going through amen I'm closing with this. I'm closing now. But I want you to imagine with me, if this is true, if these reminders are true, what would it look like if we, the church in San Diego, were the most celebratory people on the planet? What would it look like? Do we have reasons to celebrate? My goodness. We have the best reasons to celebrate. We got a few opportunities coming up. We got Thanksgiving and Friendsgiving and Christmas and we got what we're doing next Sunday, which is one of my favorite Sundays, Thanksgiving Sunday, where we pause and remember and reflect. But what would it look like as you invite your neighbors into that, your friends and your coworkers, if they saw a Christian who was happy? <laughs> <laughs> who knew how to celebrate, not, not in the world's way, but because of God's goodness. What would it look like if we regularly took time? What, what would it look like? How would it change your morning routine, even if it's just a few minutes at first, to spend time in the Scripture, to, to spend time reminded, to take some time this week for Sabbath rest, to pause, to commit to weekly worship unless you're sick, Or unless you're out of town, but to be here, but not because I have to, but because this is how I get reminded of the good news. God, help us to remember the gospel. Help us to remember it and reflect on it, both in the ways we're commanded to and the ways that we take upon ourselves. God, I pray for creativity and and the different people that are in this room, that they would that Holy Spirit, you would highlight even in their minds right now what are the ways that they can creatively take time and commit to a rhythm of reflection, of remembering your goodness. What is it that you might be calling each of them to, Lord, and me too, in committing this to you, Lord? God, I pray that you would do the work in our hearts that that we would remember you have been victorious against our greatest enemy. And every enemy we face now in life is lesser than that and will ultimately lose because death will be swallowed up in victory. God, I pray that you would connect the dots in hearts right now today that if there's anyone here who's been frustrated and hopeless and, and they're going through it, they're going through a horrible season, God. It's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no messing with it. It's wrong and it's raw and it's, it's dark. Lord, I just pray that you would help. Help them to remember the source of joy help us each to remember our victory is in you. It's been won by you. You fought the battle on our behalf, and then you invited us to share, not just for a feast every now and then, but in your kingdom forever, forever and ever, Lord. Let us celebrate that today. Celebrate that that victory we didn't win, but we've been invited into, Lord. Just speak that over uh, each one that's here, God. And And I also pray that or that as we commit to reflecting on your goodness in the past and on the times you've delivered us, God, I pray that as a church, church church-wide, our joy would increase. I pray that our hope in the future would increase. I pray that we would lift up our heads and look to the hills from which our help comes from, Lord. Sometimes we need you. As Psalm 23 says, to make us lie down in green pastures. pray that you'd remind us <laughs> to stop and reflect and think on your provision and your goodness, even in the hard times, even today. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.